All right, everybody, you can go ahead and start making your way back to your seats. I'm going to go ahead and get started. All right. Good morning, Astro Church. So good to, good, so good to see all of you here today. Um, so, so great to see all of you. So great to be here with all of you. If you don't know already, uh, my name is Trevor. I'm one of the staff guys here at H2O Church Cincinnati, and I'm going to be bringing the word to you today. I'm really, really excited about that. Um, if you don't know, we're in the middle of a series called Kingdom Culture, where each week we're looking at really kind of what it means and what it looks like uh, to be living as a citizen of heaven here in this present life. And we're specifically looking at what, what the values of, of the kingdom of God are and, and what, what values uh, God wants us to have as Christians in this life. And the culture that's present in our world today is filled with all sorts of things that are actually contrary and that are, that are actually opposing to what God says, uh, opposing to what God's word says and, and opposing to these values that God wants us to have as Christians. Um, through this sermon series, we're really seeking to reestablish those values, right? And to really re refined, re-secure those values in our lives. <clears throat> Over the course of this sermon series so far, uh, we've talked about values like, like God's word. We've talked about unity, commitment, discipline, and honor. This morning, we're going to be talking about risk. Okay? Risk in a culture of security. I'm really excited to talk to you about risk this morning. I'm really excited to, to see uh, what the Holy Spirit's going to really, really do in all of you as a result of this. Uh, it's my hope and my prayer that through my sermon this morning, you'll see that what there is to be gained through wise and godly risk-taking is so much greater than anything we may lose through risk-taking. Okay? This is, I know this is like we just started, right? We're kind of hitting the ground running, okay? What there is to be gained through wise and godly risk-taking is so much greater than anything that we could ever lose through risk-taking. Okay? Um, but before we go any further, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. And really, really inviting his presence here um, and just asking the Spirit of God to, to open our hearts and move in all of our hearts here this morning. Uh, so please bow your heads in prayer with me. God, you're such a good God. God, you're so faithful. God, you're so kind. God, you're so loving. You're so personal. God, you're so real. And God, we thank you, God, that you are the living God. And God, in you, we are safe. God, in you, we are secure. God, in you, we are home. And God, we thank you for coming and rescuing us and redeeming us. We thank you for, for, for your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for all the people here in this building, Lord. And God, here this morning, God, I just fully commit and submit this sermon to you. Lord, I pray it would be, God, you speaking, your heart, your desires, and your truth, God. God, anything that's not of you, God, would just fall to the floor. God, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. All right. Um, to start, I want us to uh, take a look at some examples of risk-taking that we see in the Bible, okay? And the first example of risk-taking risk that I want us to see in the Bible 
comes from a man named Abram, who later have his name changed to Abraham, if you know him by, by that name better, uh, in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, God's word says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham, or Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So here in this passage, we see God come to Abram and put a calling on his life. Right? In response to this calling that God puts on his life, Abram steps out of his comfort zone, steps away from everything that's familiar to him, right? Because he says, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Right? So he leaves his comfort zone. He leaves everything that is familiar to him and risked everything to obey what God told him to do. And from this, the world was changed forever. As someone argued, this is the beginning of Christianity. Right? As Christians, we are called children of Abraham. The next, the next example of risk-taking that I want us to see in the Bible comes from three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible. Some of you may, may be familiar with those names. It comes from the book of Daniel. Uh, to set the scene for you here, there was this ancient king named King Nebuchadnezzar has a super long name. I would hate to have to spell that all the time. Um, he set up an image of gold in his land, and he was forcing the people of his land to bow down and to worship this image of gold that he set up. But there were, the th there were these three guys who loved God and who were devoted to God named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego loved God and were devoted to God, they refused to bow down to worship this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And that's where the passage that I'm going to be showing you picks up. And it's a bit of a longer passage. And I kind of wrestled. It's, you know, it's a super long passage. But at the end of the day, I was like, this passage is just too awesome to not share. So it is what it is. Um, all right. It's chapter 3 in the book of Daniel. Picks up here. It says, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? <coughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, 
fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looked like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. It's like I said, it's a super long passage, but you just get this, this whole big scope, right? That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they risked their very lives. They risked everything to say, I'm going to worship our God, right? And this, and this absolutely miraculous thing happened. And the last example of risk-taking that I want us to see in the Bible, for the time being at least, comes from Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's another lengthy passage of Scripture, so I'm just going to explain it to you. In Luke chapter 1, uh, this angel comes to Mary and says, like, hey, I know you're a virgin and whatnot, but you're going to be the mother of Jesus. You're actually going give, to give birth to Jesus, right? Um, and and in, in response to, to this, this calling or this plan that the angel gives to Mary, she just says in uh, Luke one thirty eight, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary says, got it. I'm in. Let's do it. But this was no small task. By committing to this plan, Mary was putting a ton on the line. She was risking a ton. She was risking her reputation and her status because news of this was going to spread throughout the town that she had gotten pregnant outside of marriage. And who was going to believe that it was from God? Right? Her engagement at the time, she's, she's, she's engaged to this dude named Joseph, right? And she's totally risking that. She's going to come to Joseph and be like, yeah, no, I didn't cheat on you. This is from God. It's like if, if you're going to lie, at least make it like believable, Right? Um, she's like, it's, like, I wish I was there for that conversation, right? Like, no, it's God, I, I, I promise. He's like, what? Uh, you know, but, but she risked that, and, and, and obviously it was from God. And Mary risked her safety, security, and comfort. Was her family going to disown her for this, right? Was she going to be stoned by the people of the town for this, right? Mary risked so much in this. But her devotion to God and her love for God was greater. And the, re- and the reward on the other side of it was greater too. Right. So these are just three of many examples that we see in the Bible of God's people stepping out in risk. So we can see God's people have always been and still are risk takers. And it's not that risk taking just coincidentally happens to be a common thing that is present in the lives of God's people. God's people have always been and still are risk takers because God wants his people to be risk takers. God calls his people to be risk takers. So as Christians today, we are to be risk takers. Okay? I'm sure that all of us here today have at least somewhat of an idea of what risk is. I'm sure risk is not this totally new concept to you. I'm very confident in that. 
But I still want to provide a definition of risk to give us uh, some, some added clarity, just so we all understand what we're talking about this morning. And here's the definition of risk that I want to give you. Risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss, pain, or harm, while also providing an opportunity for something great to potentially happen. Right? It's an action that exposes us to the possibility of loss, pain, or harm, while also providing an opportunity for something great to potentially happen. And when we take risks, we are taking a chance on something without knowing how it will end up. And if we know, something, if we know how something is going to end up, it isn't a risk that we're taking. For example, if I knew that I would die by running into a building that was on fire to save someone, that would not be risk. That would be willing sacrifice. When we risk, we don't know what's going to happen. We're taking a chance on something without knowing how it's going to end up. We could experience loss, pain, or harm, but also something great could happen. And whether you realize it or not, every single one of us takes risks all the time in our lives. There's no such thing as a risk-free life, even though some people may like to think that there is. And the reason that there's no such thing as a risk-free life is that there is so much uncertainty and so many unknowns in this life. Every direction you turn, there are unknowns and there are things beyond our control. Because of this, we have to take risks in this life, whether we want to or not, because we don't know what's going to happen. And there are definitely people out there in the world, and maybe even some of you here in this room, who try to limit risk as much as possible in their life. But when someone tries to limit risk as much as possible in their life, they may be reducing the amount of loss, pain, or harm that they'll experience in life. But they also reduce or limit the amount of great things that could happen in and through their life as well. Both of those things come down. But the thing is, our God is a God who wants to do great things. Our God is a God who is capable of doing great things. And our God is a God who does great things in and through his people. We're seeing it down at Asbury right now. People are flocking everywhere because our God wants to, because our God is capable of, and because our God does great things. And I know it's been said that that's not supposed to stay at Asbury, right? And I don't believe it's going to stay at Asbury. I really believe this is the beginning of something new. Our God does great things. Because our God wants to do great things, because he's capable of doing great things, and because he does great things in and through his people, we as Christians are to be people who take bold risks for Jesus, his glory, and his kingdom so that great things may happen. Let's say that Jesus even wants us to be risk takers and calls us to be risk takers. I want to dive in a little bit deeper to share just a few more specific reasons, okay, why risk-taking is so important and so valuable. As I share these things with you, I want you to see and I want you to recognize that the biggest risk of all is to not take risk. The biggest risk of all is to not take risk. It is actually riskier to not risk, okay? I want you to see and understand that. As I mentioned just moments ago, people who try to limit the amount of risk in their lives are trying to decrease the amount of loss, pain, or harm that they experience. But when a Christian does that, they're actually experiencing a much greater loss because what they are missing out on 
is greater than anything that they could, they could possibly lose. So a few specific reasons why risk-taking is so important and so valuable. Number one, Jesus is worthy of our risk-taking. Jesus is worth putting things on the line for. Jesus is worth risking things and even losing things for. More than that, Jesus is worth losing everything for. So we gladly put everything on the line for him, his glory, and his kingdom. And Jesus is worthy of our risk-taking. In chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew, we find a parable of the hidden treasure. And in the parable of the hidden treasure, which is just one verse, but it's an incredible verse, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. See, Jesus himself is the best part of the kingdom of heaven because he is the king of the kingdom. So we can think of the treasure in this parable as being Jesus himself. I want to point out to you that this verse says that when the man discovered the treasure, when the man encountered the treasure, he went and in his joy sold all he had so that he could buy the field with the treasure in it so that he could have this treasure. And there's a deep and a powerful and a life-changing word of truth that comes from what we're seeing in this parable. It's one verse, but this is packed with power. This deep, powerful, and life-changing word of truth is this. Jesus is greater than everything else combined. Jesus is greater than everything else in this life combined. It's not that Jesus is just greater than this, and Jesus is greater than that, and Jesus is greater than this other thing. It's that Jesus is greater than everything else combined in this life. If you, if you go and if you, you would put Jesus on this side of the scale, and on this side of the scale you put sex, and you put pleasure, and you put security, and you put comfort, and you put money, and you put travel, and you put sports, and you put entertainment, and you put, you put everything you can possibly think of on this side of the scale, and you put Jesus on this side of the scale, that scale is going to tell you that this side is greater. Everything. He's, he is greater. He is better than everything else combined. Do we believe that? This man went. He found this treasure. He found this treasure on this side of the scale. And in his joy, he went over here and he sold it all so he could have this because he knew this was better and this was greater. And that is why we can take risks because we have Jesus. We have the thing that is greater than all those things. So we can release those things and we can take risks for this king. We can take risks for his glory and we can take risks for his kingdom in joy and gladly. Jesus is worthy of our risk taking. Now, from the parable of the hidden treasure, someone might argue, isn't this Jesus talking about himself? Isn't this Jesus talking about his own worthiness? And you know what I would say? Yes, yes it is. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, what's happening here. When Jesus tells us in this parable that he is greater than everything else in this life combined, that is not him stating an opinion. That is him stating a fact that he knows to be true. In the same way that I would tell you that I am a male, and I have light brown hair, and I have hazel eyes, and I'm about six feet tall, all of which are not opinions of me, but facts of me, 
Jesus tells us the fact about himself that he is greater than everything else in this world combined. And we have to believe this. If you do believe this, you'll see and you'll understand that Jesus is indeed worthy of our risk-taking, that he's worthy of putting all things on the line for. But if you don't believe this, you're making Jesus out to be a liar. And Jesus ain't a liar. Okay? When we do this, we're saying, Jesus, you mean more to me, and you are more valuable to me than all of these other things. Wise and godly risk-taking is also important for the powerful advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. By a show of hands, who here this morning wants to see the powerful advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God? Nice. Cool. like that. Um, now, I want you to raise your hand if you want to be an active part of the powerful advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Yeah, good. Awesome. We all want to see and we all want to be a an active part of the powerful advancement of the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of God. And the gospel and the kingdom of God powerfully advance through God's faithfulness in our wise and godly risk-taking. The gospel and the kingdom advance through God's faithfulness in our wise and godly risk-taking. When we step out in faith-filled risk to give God our unconditional yes in whatever he might have for us, to diligently pursue the lost with the gospel of Christ and evangelism, to love others radically, to give generously, to confess sin openly to trusted and mature Christians in our lives, to lovingly and respectfully confront a Christian brother or sister about sin in his or her life, to obey the calling to go into vocational ministry, even if that means being a support-based missionary, to adopt or foster a child in need, to stand up for justice and righteousness, to participate in international missions, and whatever else the Holy Spirit may lead us into. When we do these things, we create opportunities and we create pathways for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And as we step out in these risks, God will be faithful and they will advance. This makes risk-taking massively important. And very little is accomplished in advancing the gospel and the kingdom without taking risks. Great things never come from comfort zones. But when Christians do take risks, in the name of Jesus, when we step out in faith-filled risk, amazing things will happen. And we live in a culture and a generation where people just want and expect things to be handed to them without putting in any kind of work, sweat, or effort. But this isn't the way that life actually works. Just wanting or expecting things to be handed to us is a very immature mindset and perspective to have. In Galatians 6, the Bible tells us that a man reaps what he sows. If a man sows to please his flesh, from the flesh he will reap destruction. If a man sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap life. And going off of this, I take the scriptural liberty to also say, a man will not reap what he does not sow. We cannot expect a crop to come up out of the ground if we don't put in the effort to plant the seeds and water the seeds. God makes it grow, but we still have to plant and water We've got to break out of this mindset and get to work at taking wise and godly risks for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom. And there's one thing I just like really felt prompted to press into here 
before we move on. Um, and it has to do with stepping out in risk via evangelism, whether it's contact evangelism or relational evangelism. Are you willing to risk experiencing temporary discomfort, humiliation, rejection, and uneasiness so that others may not experience agonizing torment and unimaginable pain for all eternity? Is this, is this a risk you're willing to take? As a Christian, this present life is the worst that will ever get for you. Conversely, for someone who's not a Christian, this present life is the best it will ever get. So will that prompt us to go to pursue them and to, and to risk there? Adoniram Judson, who was a Christian missionary in the 1800s, once said, why should we be unwilling to part with a few fleeting, inconsiderable comforts for the sake of making them sharers with us in joys exalted as heaven, durable as eternity? Are we, are we willing to part with those temporary comforts for the eternity of others? And you don't have to be some sort of big, great, special person in order for God to use you to advance the gospel and the kingdom. If you, if you have the spirit of God in you, you have what it takes to powerfully advance the gospel and the kingdom of God. You just have to step out and risk trusting God. Mary, Abraham, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, David, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Timothy, Mark, Andrew, all these different people that we see in the scriptures who powerfully advanced the kingdom of God were ordinary, and, and they were ordinary at best. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they were fishermen. Doesn't take much to do that. Right? They're ordinary at best. Mary's this unknown girl from a small country town. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're famous now. But before that, they were just average men. Right? I think we can sometimes view these people as special or unique or more than human just because they were in the Bible. But the reality is they were just as ordinary as we are. So if you're here today and you feel extremely ordinary... You're in good company because God loves to work through and partner with the ordinary. The third reason why uh, godly risk-taking is important is that your own relationship with God will grow and deepen through risk-taking. As I said before, we rely on the faithfulness of God when we step out in risk for Jesus, his glory, and his kingdom. When we do this, we're going to find ourselves in places and situations where in order for something to happen or in order for something to succeed or go well, God has to come through. God has to provide and God has to move. And when we step out in these things, we're going to be desperately relying on God in these things. And the amazing thing is that our God is near and our God is faithful. As we take these risks for Jesus, his glory, and his kingdom, while relying on the faithfulness of God, we will have such awesome and such amazing encounters with God and his goodness and his power and his faithfulness and his love and his grace and his kindness. And when we encounter God in these things, we'll be so captivated by him, so in all of him, and so moved by him. And our, and our own personal relationship and connection and intimacy will strengthen with him so much. And in addition to this, he's going to receive more praise and glory as a result of that as well. When I, take out, when I, when I step out in my risks, in, in evangelism, in giving, in all this kind of stuff, I encounter God so much, and it just takes me deeper with him. 
And the last reason I want to share with you this morning as to why, why isn't God the risk-taking is so important is that it will help us to rid ourselves of idolatry. It will help us rid ourselves of idolatry. Um, when, when, we, when we step out in these risks for Jesus and his glory and his kingdom, we're going to be able to identify things that are, that are idols in our lives or in our hearts. And this is good because God speaks against idolatry a ton in his word. And I want to show you just a few examples of this. In 1 John 5, 21, God's word says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14, God's word says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. And in 1 Peter 4, verse 3, God's word calls idolatry detestable. So God speaks against idolatry so much. And you might be thinking to yourself, how is it that risk-taking is going to expose and identify idols in your life? Well, good question. There's two ways, that, two ways it can happen. One, the Holy Spirit might press his finger on an idol in your life or in your heart by leading you to an opportunity to risk that particular thing, whatever it might be. That's the first way. And the second is through a couple of questions that I'm going to ask you now. And I want you to listen to me. Listen in. What in your life are you unwilling to risk? And what in your life do you not want God to touch or mess with? Whatever comes to your mind in response to that, there's a good chance, there's a good chance that that's an idol in your life because you're, because you're not giving it to God. Okay? Jesus calls us to full surrender and full devotion to him in Matthew 10. Uh, in Matthew 10, he says that we aren't to love anything more than him. So there's no room for idols in the life of a follower of Christ. So I just gave you four reasons why godly risk-taking is so important and so viable. Just to review them now, just real quick. Number one, Jesus is worthy of our risk-taking. Two, the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of God powerfully advance through our risk-taking and God's faithfulness. Three, our own relationship with God will grow and deepen through wise and godly risk-taking. And godly risk-taking will help us to rid ourselves of sinful idolatry. And there are plenty of other uh, or additional reasons that I could give you as to why risk-taking is important. We're just going leave to uh, leave it at that for this morning. And I hope that you can see from this, as I said earlier, that you will be missing out on so much if you choose to not step out in wise and godly risk-taking for Jesus, his glory, and his kingdom. We're going miss, to miss out on, on encountering God more. We're going to miss out on seeing God move. And we're going to miss out on seeing his kingdom come as much as we could. Okay. And now that we've seen that Jesus wants, wants us to and calls us to take wise and godly risks, and now that we've seen a number of reasons why it's important to do so, I want to touch on a few important elements of actually going and taking risks. And I hope that you'll continue to see why it is good and it is right for us as Christians to be risk takers as I, as I share these things with you. The first element of wise and godly risk taking that I want to share with you is this. Our goal in risk taking is to make much of Christ. Our goal in godly risk taking is to make much of Christ. And what I mean by this is that when we take risks, it is our goal to exalt Christ, to magnify Christ, to honor Christ, and to bring glory to Christ. Our goal in risk-taking is not to just get our fill of fun, entertainment, adrenaline, or adventure. 
Is taking, is taking risks for Jesus fun and the adventure of a lifetime? Absolutely yes. It is incredibly fun. And it is the adventure of a lifetime. But this is not our primary goal or our primary focus in risk-taking. Our goal in risk-taking is also not to display our personal valor or our courage or our bravery or our faith or our awesomeness to try and receive praise or admiration from people or to maintain any kind of reputation. And our goal in risk-taking is not to test God or get God to prove himself to us in any kind of way. In Matthew 4, Jesus speaks strongly against testing God. And when we take risks, it is our goal to exalt Christ, to magnify Christ, honor Christ, and bring glory to Christ. You see, the ultimate reason for your existence and my existence is this, is to make much of Christ and his kingdom. We sometimes like to think that our ultimate reason for existence is so many other things. And the world says that it's so many other things. But this is it. The ultimate reason for our existence is to make much of Christ and his kingdom. In Colossians 1.16, God's word says, For in Christ all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So this scripture from Colossians 1 tells us that all things, and guys, literally all things, when the Bible says all, it means all, all things have been created for Christ. All things have been created to make much of Christ. And you and I are very much included in this all things that are created to make much of Christ. And in Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul writes, saying, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And from this, we see that Paul's number one focus in life, above all other things, was to exalt Christ and magnify Christ and bring glory to Christ, even at his own expense. And Paul's number one focus in life was to make much of Christ, and this should be the number one focus of our lives as well, to make much of Christ above all other things. So this is our goal in risk-taking. And guys, because the ultimate reason for our existence, is to make much of Christ. Because, because the ultimate reason of our existence is to bring glory to Christ. Our greatest joy will be found in God's greatest glory. Okay? Our greatest joy will be found in God's greatest glory. And what I mean by this is, is, is as God gets more and more glorified, we will experience more and more joy. God's glory and our joy are directly correlated. They rise together, okay? Because this is how God created us. And I want to show you it, okay? By show of hands, how many of you have ever been worshiping the Lord, and while you were worshiping him, and maybe even afterwards, you felt like your soul was so full of joy and life and peace and the fullness of God? Has anyone ever experienced that? It doesn't have to be this morning. Yeah, exactly. You know why that is? There's a reason. It's because your joy and God's glory are directly tied to each other. As God, God's glory raises, your joy raises, okay? And, and, and to be clear, his glory remains the same in heaven. But as he is glorified by us, our joy rises with him. As, as God gets, this is what came to mind. This, hopefully this is what, what sticks. As God gets more glorified, we get more joyified, Okay? 
That's what came to mind. And I was like, it, it works. I know it's not a word, but guess what? You're going to always remember that. Um, okay? As God gets more glorified, we get more joyified. And when we, when we step out in risk for Christ, to make much of him and his glory and his kingdom, our flesh might be screaming, no, 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 too risky, too risky, no way, nope, stop, stop, stop. But the spirit of Christ within us is going to be whispering, there is great Christ-exalting joy to be found in this. Okay. Remember that. The second element of godly risk-taking I want to hit on this morning is that we wholeheartedly trust God in our risk-taking. As I mentioned earlier, when we take risks, we're exposing ourselves to the possibility of loss, pain, or harm. We're taking a chance on something without knowing how it's going to end up. Because of this, we can sometimes experience fear when it comes to risk-taking. We can fear a number of different things. Fear of uncertainty or unknowns, fear of failure, fear of loss, fear of humiliation, fear of change, fear of critics or criticism, fear of rejection, fear of persecution, fear of conflict. There are all sorts of things that people can and do fear when it comes to risk-taking. But do you know what, what statement God says more than any other across the entire Bible? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's a statement that God says more than any other statement in the Bible. Jesus knows that his life and taking risks in this life can be scary, intimidating, and challenging, and his response is compassion. Because he is for us, and he wants to help us. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in the Old Testament, God appointed a man named Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land, which was a task full of risks and dangers. And when God commissioned Joshua in this task, he said to, said to Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And just as he did with Joshua, God promises to be right there with us wherever we go, including into our risks. And God has promised to not just be with us in our risks, but to help us and strengthen us and embolden us in our risk-taking. God wants us to trust him in this and to not let fear overtake us. And when God says, do not be afraid, this does not mean that we cannot have fear or be experiencing fear. Okay? Sometimes we can't help but feel fear in our bodies or in our hearts. But what it means is that we don't have to be the fear that we feel. It means that we don't have to sit in the fear that we may be feeling. It means that we can and we should actively choose to trust God even in the midst of our fear. Okay? Does that make sense? You can still be, you can still be feeling and experiencing fear, but not staying there. Okay? Choosing to trust God in that place. American writer Mark Twain once said, Courage is resistance to fear and mastery of fear, not absence of fear. It's about actively choosing to trust God even in the midst of our fear or an intimidating situation. And now the question is, will you trust him? Not just when things are easy and comfortable and calm in your life, but when things are scary, intimidating, and uncertain. When you're putting things on the line for Jesus and his glory and his kingdom. When you've experienced loss or pain or harm or persecution as a result of taking risks. Right now, as we talk about 
taking these risks for Jesus and his glory and his kingdom? Will you trust God? And will you trust him even when you can't see, even when you can't understand what is happening? Will you trust him? For Abraham, Mary, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, Esther, and so many others who have been wise and godly risk takers before us. The confidence and the courage and the security and the peace and the strength that they had to take great risks was not in what they were doing, but in who they were following and who they were trusting in. Who that they were entrusting themselves to. In verses 11 and 12 of 2 Timothy 1, the Apostle Paul writes, saying, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him to him until that day. And the Apostle Paul had so much courage and confidence and security, and peace, and strength in the face of risk, and in the face of loss, and in the face of pain, because he knew who it was that he was trusting in. He knew who it was that he had entrusted himself to. And I believe believe that all these other people, Abraham, Mary, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they would say the same thing. They would echo this. They would say, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have put my trust in. So I will go forward into risk with, co- with confidence and courage and security and strength. And like them, we need to remember who it is that promises to be with us, who it is that promises to help us, and who it is that we're following. We need to remember to know that our God and our King is sovereign over all creation. This means that he has supreme authority and power over all creation now and forever that he is in control at all times, that he sees and hears and knows all things at all times, that he has great love for you no matter what. And God's word tells us in Ephesians 3 and in plenty of other places that we can't even begin to understand or comprehend the full extent of God's great love for us, that he is for you and that he proved it through Christ, that his insight and wisdom, knowledge, clarity, and understanding is so much greater than ours is. In chapter 55 of the book of Isaiah, God's word says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your way, or neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is also why in Proverbs 3, it says to not, not trust, uh, uh, to, to trust the Lord with, with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. We need to know and to remember that he is the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. Which means that God designed all things, created all things, and set all things in motion, and he will have the final say. That he will bring your soul safely home to heaven at the end of your earthly life because of your trust in Jesus. That he upholds perfect justice, that he's near to us, and that he is always good and faithful. From all of these things, it's clear to see that our God and our King is supremely trustworthy. Now, will you trust him? Will you trust your King? And the third and final element of godly risk-taking that I want to share with you this morning is that our glorious hope in Christ frees us to be bold in our risk-taking. Our glorious hope in Christ frees us to be bold in our risk-taking. In addition to fear, an obsession with security, safety, and comfort oftentimes cripples people 
including many Christians, from stepping out in risk. It really seems like a primary pursuit and primary focus for so many people in this life is to maintain or gain as much security, safety, and comfort as they possibly can. And people will go to extremes to do this. So when we start talking about exposing ourselves to the possibility of loss, pain, or harm through risk-taking, so many people start to go green in the face, and they start to get all squeamish because they're so uncomfortable even with just the thought of that. But here's the thing. As Christians, we don't have to and we shouldn't be worried about or one bit concerned about maintaining or gaining worldly security, safety, or comfort in this life because we know with certainty that we have real and eternal and better riches, pleasures, treasures, just an inheritance, comfort, security, safety, you name it. We have all that that is real, that is eternal, and that is better in heaven. Right? So as Christians, we should not be one bit concerned about our security and our safety and our comfort in this life. And, and the, this safety and security and comfort and treasures and pleasures and possessions that we have waiting for us in heaven on the other side of this life are never at risk. And they can never even be put at risk because God himself is protecting them. They're always firm and secure with him. When we step out in risk, we do expose ourselves to the possibility of losing worldly safety, security, comfort, treasures, pleasures, opportunities, reputation, position, status, connections, all sorts of stuff. But that's okay. Let it be gone. Because we have real and eternal and better things in heaven. All those things. And God has promised that, that he will even multiply it a thousandfold in heaven. It'll be so much better. As Christians, we can risk and we can give up worldly security because we have eternal security. We can give up worldly treasures because we have eternal treasures. We can give up worldly comforts because we have eternal comforts. We can give up worldly riches because we have eternal riches. We can give up worldly pleasures because we have eternal pleasures. This frees us. This frees us so much from this need to serve ourselves and to satisfy ourselves and to just focus on ourselves. This glorious hope frees us to boldly obey callings from God, to boldly share the gospel, to boldly engage others in evangelism, to boldly give, to boldly love, to boldly sacrifice, to boldly serve, and to boldly take the gospel to the nations no matter what the cost may be. It frees us up so much. Because we oftentimes talk about and we sing about the eternal riches, pleasures, glories, security, inheritance that are waiting for us in heaven with God on the other side of this life. But if I'm being honest, I don't think that we live our lives that way. We don't live our lives as if, as if this was true and, is, and as if this was real. It seems as though so many Christians pursue worldly treasures and pleasures and possessions and comfort just as much as non-Christians do. And that makes no sense, right? It makes no sense. This glorious hope that we have frees us. And someone who is a Christian might argue, well, I'll have my eternal security and riches and pleasures in heaven then, but I need to get my security, safety, and pleasures now as well. Guys, that would be a fine thing to say if there weren't many, many souls in deep need in our world right now. Spiritual need, physical need, mental need, emotional need, you name it. 
there are so many souls in our world right now with such deep and such urgent need. And because of that, as Christians, we lay, we lay down our lives. We risk our lives for them. Amen? Yeah. Understand, you can risk it all when you have it all. Right? You're rich. Every single one of you. If you're a Christian here today, you are rich. You have it. It's real. And let it, let it change your life. Chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews wrote to the people about losses, pain, and harm that they were experiencing. This is what he says. He says, remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves have better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And I have one more thing. Stick with me. One more thing. And if I'm going to teach you on risk, it would actually be wrong for me to not share what I'm about to share with you. Okay? Still paying attention here. God does not promise successful outcomes in all of our risk-taking efforts, even when they are for Jesus, his glory, and his kingdom. Okay? God does not promise successful outcomes all the time. And what I mean by successful outcomes here are outcomes where everything turns out positively or peacefully or according to the best possible outcome. An outcome where everything goes exactly right and is good and is pleasant. God does not promise that this is going to be the case every time. When you take risks, you may experience loss. You may experience pain, and you may experience harm. And it's actually likely that you will at least experience loss or pain at different times as you take wise and godly risks for Jesus, his glory, and his kingdom. God doesn't promise this happily ever after kind of situation every time. And I have no desire to stand up here and sugarcoat this reality. And it's not that God doesn't have the power to bring forth great and pleasant outcomes when we take risks. And it's not that God isn't paying attention or that God is far from us. There's, there are a number of different things at play here, like man's free will, spiritual warfare, the brokenness of the world, and even God's sovereign wisdom. When you take risks, you may experience loss, pain, or harm, but that's okay. Because as we just talked about, you have eternal riches, treasures, pleasures, and glories in heaven waiting for you on the other side of this life. And that gives us great courage and great confidence to go into risk. And if you experience loss or pain or suffering as a Christian, that does not mean that Christ has stopped loving you. And that does not mean Christ has forsaken you. And that does not mean he has stopped caring for you. Stephen in the book of Acts is a great example of this. He's the first Christian martyr. He goes, he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And he preaches the gospel to them. and makes them angry. They drag him out of the, they drag him out of the city and they stone him to death. But right before Stephen dies, the Bible tells us that he looked up into heaven and God had actually opened heaven for Stephen and he sees Jesus and he sees the glory of God. And Jesus is there to welcome Stephen into the kingdom as he breathes his last breath. And this is one of the best examples that we have that even in suffering, Christ has not abandoned us. Even in suffering, Christ has not stopped loving us. Okay, understand that. As I come to a close this morning, I hope that you've been inspired, that you've been convicted, 
to be bold risk takers for Jesus and his glory and his kingdom. Our God is a God who wants to do great things, who is capable of doing great things, and who does great things in and through his people. Now, will you choose to trust him and partner with him by taking wise and godly risks for Jesus, his glory, and his kingdom, all the while being inspired by this hope, this real hope that you have? This isn't going to be easy. Taking risks for Jesus and his glory and his kingdom is not easy. But I promise you it's going to be worth it. Nothing in this life that is truly worth it is ever easy. Okay. I want to close this morning with a quote from a guy named Jim Elliott, who was a Christian missionary to indigenous tribal people in Ecuador, who ended up being martyred in, in Ecuador in the 1950s. Before he died, Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. May this resound in your hearts as you go from here to be wise and godly risk takers for Jesus, his glory, and his kingdom. Let me pray. God, God, you're such a good God. God, thank you, God, for inviting us into risk. God, thank you for calling us into risk. And God, thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you, God, for the riches that are ours with you in heaven, Lord. The riches, the pleasures, the treasures, the inheritance that are ours with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray for all of us God, that these truths, God, would sink deeply into our hearts and our souls and our minds, God. God, in our joy, we would go and we would risk it all for you, Jesus, because Jesus, you are greater than everything else combined. Jesus, you have it all. Jesus, we have it all in you. And Jesus, I pray that these truths wouldn't just stay here in this room, but they would go with us that we would risk, Jesus, for you and your glory and your kingdom and that great things would happen through your faithfulness, Lord. God, thank you that you always love us. You're always with us and you care for us. You're such a good God. You're so kind to us. We pray this in Christ's name.